Our thanks to the choir for that beautiful anthem. So as we uh, prepare for our scripture lessons this morning, uh, we'll be reading from uh, two passages. Uh, We are getting close to uh, concluding uh, the chapter 11 of Hebrews, which has got so many wonderful stories of uh, the uh, great, great stories from uh, what we would sometimes call the heroes of faith from the Old Testament. And uh, so we'll be reading one more uh, brief passage from Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, then we will read about one of those characters from the Old Testament, from Judges chapter 7. But before we go to God, uh, before we go to God's word, let's first take a moment to go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for this time. We thank you for the chance to come together and to hear your word read and proclaimed. We ask as we turn our attention to scripture this morning that your spirit would be with us wherever we are. We ask that you would set aside any of our cares from this past week, any of our anxiety about the week to come, and you would allow us to be in this moment. That you would speak to us Uh, through your word, that we might come to know who you are and who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we'll begin with Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 32 to 34, following a series of uh, great figures from the Old Testament. Our author picks up right here in verse 32. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Here ends our first reading. Our second reading, the story of one of those figures, of Gideon. We'll be reading from Judges chapter 7, verses 4 to 8, uh, a passage that may be familiar to you. And then we're uh, going to skip uh, several verses and read uh, the the very end and what what comes next uh, from chapter 8, verse 4. So Judges chapter 7, verses 4 to 8. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the troops are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will sift them out for you there. When I say this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. When I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, All those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps, you shall put to one side. All those who kneel down to drink, putting their hands to their mouths, you shall put to the other side. The number of those that lapped was three hundred, but all the rest of the troops knelt down to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred that lapped, I will deliver you. And give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go to their homes. So he took the jars of the troops from their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel back to their own tents. But retained the 300. The camp of Midian was below them in the valley. What happens next is the actual story of the battle. Is that a little, little group, that little army of 300 uh, go to battle and are victorious over their enemies. And you can read the rest of that in the rest of chapter 7. But then in chapter 8, uh, that small army, they end up pursuing some of the remaining enemies. And we get verse 4. Then Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 who were with him, exhausted and famished. Here ends the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let us pray. O Lord, as we turn our attention to these words, we ask that through them you would help us to come to know you. Come to know who you are, who you have created us to be, and who you call us to be this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gideon is such a practical character in Scripture. He's he's a a wonderful figure from the Old Testament. I I think in part it's because because he's he's so human. He's just so relatable and so real. Gideon has doubts. Gideon gets tired. Gideon makes a lot of mistakes, which is maybe why I see some of myself in him. Gideon is such a relatable, practical figure. He's so, he's so human. And we, we know some of his story. Now, he's, we, we have to be honest with ourselves. Gideon is not the top of the A-list of Old Testament celebrities. Gideon, is, he's, he's no Moses, he's no David, but we, we may have some of his stories in our memories and in our minds, and if so, it would probably includes this story, the story of uh, the 300 that joined him in his army. And as we read the story of Gideon, I think there's, there's something so, so practical about who he is and so instructive about what it, what it means to live our faith. I think Gideon uh, is a wonderful example of what it means to live our faith. We have to start with his story. So the story that we we read this morning, or a a portion of which we read this morning, it's it's the story of Gideon uh, finding that the the people of God are in, in danger. And Gideon gathers, gathers the, the army together. He gathers soldiers to, to go out and to, uh, to, to fight against the enemy, to protect God's people. And when he gathers all the soldiers together, uh, he has a very strange interaction, a very strange uh, conversation with God. As God looks at this army that Gideon has raised, and God says to Gideon, the army is too big to be successful. Now that, that's counterintuitive. That doesn't make a lot of sense that the army would be too big to be successful. But God says to Gideon, it's, we, we've got to shrink this army down. And so God uh, pairs back the army and he, he shrinks the size. And uh, now they're, they're, there's a lot less than there used to be. Where, where there once were thousands, there are far fewer. And God looks once again at this smaller number, this smaller army of the Israelites, of Gideon, and God says it's still too many. The army's still too big to be successful. You need fewer people if you want victory. And so uh, God has them uh, go down to the river and drink and, and uses this, this unusual test to, to separate the people and to pare back the army even further till they end up with only 300 soldiers. Now, to put that in perspective, that's a lot smaller than our church. I mean, that's smaller than half of our church. Uh, just, just a few hundred people gathered together. This is the defense force for the people of Israel. And as Gideon leads this small group into battle, they, they, they find victory. And there's, there's a proper way to preach this passage. The way to preach this passage, the correct way, is to, to point out that in this story, Gideon and the army, they, they learned to rely not on the size of their army, not on the strength of their soldiers, but on the, the goodness of their God, on the love of their Lord. And as they put their trust in God, they, they, they were led to victory. That's how you preach this passage. That's what we learn from this story. That is the correct way to read this story of Gideon, or at least one correct way to interpret what happened in this moment. That's, that's Gideon's story. And that's usually where we stop. We stop with this small group of people being victorious. But it's not the end. It's just the beginning of Gideon's story. 
exhausted and famished. That's what comes next. We read the story of the battle and then the, the very next verses tell us that there were enemies that remained and so Gideon and the soldiers, they crossed over the river chasing after the enemies and Gideon and the soldiers found themselves exhausted and famished. Now this is a, this is a strange revelation that the army would be exhausted and famished. After all, if they were putting all of their, all of their hope and all of their, their trust in God's strength, uh, it's odd that they would find themselves exhausted but it, it turns out this is, this is how life really works. And when, when you follow God's calling, when you put your trust in God, it takes work. I mean, living your faith takes work, and it, it takes hard work. And there are days, as you live your faith, that you will be exhausted and famished. And, and look at that phrase. What a, what a powerful phrase that is. Exhausted and famished. The, the two words, it's, it's almost, not quite, it's almost redundant. I mean, exhausted and famished, they almost mean the exact same thing. So the, the word exhausted, right, that, that means to, to, be, to be completely empty. It, it means to be spent. Right? To be exhausted means to be poured out, to have, to have nothing left. To be exhausted means everything is used up and there's nothing left to give. To be famished is, is to be hungry or to be empty and yearning for more, to be, to be hollow and, and longing to be filled. So when our author tells us that they are exhausted and famished, it's, it's, uh, it's reiterating this point. It's, it's telling us just how deep their weariness and, and how tired they really are. When we find that they are exhausted and famished, we, we learn that, that that's it. They're empty. They are spent. They are poured out. There is nothing left. And as we we read these words, we, we know that feeling. Or there, there are times when we too find ourselves exhausted and famished, living our faith, wondering if there is any way to keep moving forward, wondering if there really is any hope, wondering if the story is over. Gideon and his soldiers found themselves exhausted and famished. Now, as we read this passage, it's a powerful phrase. It's one of the phrases that makes Gideon and his soldiers so relatable and so human and so practical. They help us understand what it's like when we find ourselves at the end of our energy, when there's no more strength, no more power, no more might. It's in those moments we realize if, if Gideon experienced the same thing, we are, we are not alone. This makes Gideon's story so practical. When we are exhausted and famished, we are not on our own. This is something that so many people have experienced through the years. Exhausted and famished. Exhausted and... Well, famished is a strange word. In fact, um, th th this phrase, it's a strange phrase. If... If you look at, at what we just read today, we, we found the words exhausted and famished. We, we read it from the, the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. That's the, the version of Scripture we usually read when we gather together on a Sunday morning. But uh, this will be, be a good experiment. Do this when you get home. Pull, pull the Bibles you have off of your shelf and read Judges 8.4 and see if you find the same words. If you have anything other than the NRSV, you probably won't. It turns out that's only one way we have translated this phrase, exhausted and famished. Throughout the years, there's actually, there's actually another more common translation into English. There's, there's another way we've interpreted these words, exhausted and famished. 
And it's, it's quite different. Now, they both work. You can go either direction. The Hebrew words seem to perhaps encompass both of them through the years. But what we find in most translations is that the, the people, as they traveled with Gideon, were exhausted and pursuing. They were exhausted and still pursuing their enemies. They were exhausted and still pursuing. That doesn't mean the same thing at all. I mean, exhausted and famished, these two words mean almost the same thing. It's almost redundant, but exhausted and pursuing, those are, those are almost opposites. And when you're exhausted, you're not still pursuing. That's, that's what exhausted means. It means that, that you're empty. When you're empty, you're not still pursuing. When, when you're spent, you're not still pursuing. When you are poured out, you're not still pursuing. When there's nothing left to give, you're not still pursuing. And you might be able to make a case that you could be pursuing and exhausted if you put it in that order, because you could pursue until you're exhausted, but that's, that's not what it says. It says that they were exhausted and still pursuing. And that's not, that's just not logical. It's not, it's not possible. If they have no more energy, if they have no more strength, if they have no more power, if they have no more might, they cannot keep pursuing. Unless, unless the fuel they've been running on was never their own energy. Unless it was never their own strength that had brought them to this far. Unless it was never their own power. Unless they were never depending on their own might, which sends us back to the beginning of Gideon's story. Remember the, the proper way to teach the first part of Gideon's story. What Gideon had learned is he couldn't rely on the strength of his army or the size of his army. He had to rely on the goodness of his God, the love of his Lord. And suddenly we discover that Gideon had learned it was never his own strength that would carry him in the first place. And now we discover perhaps, perhaps it didn't matter if their strength was exhausted. Because they weren't depending on their own strength. If that's the case, then they can be exhausted and still pursuing. They can be empty and still driving. They can be spent and still striving. They, they can be poured out and still flowing. They can have nothing left but still be going because it was never their energy that was carrying them in the beginning. All of a sudden we discover that Gideon and his soldiers were relying on something outside of themselves. The strength that had carried them this far was not their strength but the strength of their God. And this this is what makes Gideon so practical because in the moments that we find ourselves exhausted, it is not our own strength that gives us the ability to move forward. It's the goodness of our God. In these moments, we can look to Gideon and, and we give thanks that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We we give thanks that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. We give thanks that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We give thanks that if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creation and the old has passed away and all has become new. We, we give thanks that we have a, an, an anchor, a sure and steadfast anchor that is our hope and our Lord. We, we give thanks that there is nothing at all in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, not even our own exhaustion. We give thanks 
thanks that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. This is what moves us forward. This is what allows us to drive and to strive. This is what allows us to keep flowing and keep on going. It is the goodness of our God and the love of our Lord. We give thanks that God loves us no matter what. As we read this passage, we find Gideon and the soldiers exhausted and and still pursuing, still moving forward, still reaching, still with hope driving them ahead because it was never their own strength in the first place. Gideon is so practical. He's a human. He has doubts. He gets tired. He makes mistakes. And he shows us what it means to live our faith. He shows us that living our faith is impossible on our own strength. Living our faith takes the strength of a God who loves us no matter what. Our faith is not in our own strength. The race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the brave. In fact, our faith is in the God who loves us no matter what. As we live our faith, there is hardly a better example than Gideon. And so as we go from this place, as we conclude this this passage this morning, look to Gideon as an example of what it means to live your faith, particularly when you find yourself exhausted and, well, I'll let you decide. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.